0: Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of London Calling, our very own property podcast brought to you by Corico Independent Mortgage Advisors at www.coraco.co.uk. My name is Andrew Montlake, although you can call me Monty, and I shall be your host to guide you through and investigate the very latest in the world of mortgages, property and the general financial world. This is London Calling. It's been a remarkable start to the year, which is, of course, an election year, with mortgage rates hitting new record lows. Talk about deflation, issues in Europe coming up to a head again, and various countries cutting rates further. Even our own Bank of England governor has stated that the next move in bank base rate could actually be a cut, although this, of course, could just be a ploy to move the markets. Whilst the London property market has slowed slightly and prices have eased, which is most welcome, we have seen more first-time buyers returning to the market, though remortgaging is still to take off as expected. With all this as a backdrop, this month we are back looking at the general mortgage market and are delighted to have a very special guest from one of the High Street's biggest lenders, Santander. So welcome to Brad Fordham, who is the Managing Director for Santander for Intermediaries. Hello, Brad. Hello, Monty. And uh, actually, while I've got you, uh, it's your birthday today.
1: Oh, thank you for that, so yes. I
0: won't uh, embarrass you by singing happy birthday, or rather embarrass myself, <laughs> um, but maybe, maybe we'll do a rendition later. And uh, also with us is Coraco's Managing Director, Matt Lowndes, who I'm sure will be jumping in to put his two penneth in at some stage. Hello, Matt. Might be more than that, Monty, but hello, Monty. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, Brad. Monty. First of all, do you want to give us a brief overview of your, your role with Santander? So we just sort of set the scene as to... Yeah, by all means.
1: Um, so as you say, I look after the intermediary division uh, for Santander um, and also have responsibility for mortgage distribution uh, across the other channels, be that right. TD uh, and branch as well. But um, the majority of my time is spent looking after the intermediary division, um, which, you know, the majority of the lending through Santander is done through the intermediary channel. Yeah
0: what's the split at the moment between intermediary uh, and it's direct? about
1: 80 20 at our place which is right, okay. which is slightly higher intermediated than the market yeah of course we've seen the market move post mmr mm-hmm. um to probably 65 35 depending on on where you read um but um but yeah we've always been slightly above that and and um of course uh using intermediary channel as our as our main driver for gross business
0: okay um and santander had a well, remarkable year, really, last year. And it's, it's no secret you were you were certainly Coraco's biggest lender last year. Um, you mentioned MMR, mortgage market reviews come in and for the most part bedded in nicely. But there is still a lot of talk around affordability and what is and what isn't taken into account. Um and I know Santander's stance on pension contributions has been one discussion point. You're straight in there, Monty. Suffer <laughs> yeah, yeah. dis- me yeah. up with a uh, wrong a, a nice yeah. okay. Um do you, do you see this changing over time? Um, have you had enough guidance from the FCA on this? Is this actually, you know, your risk departments are just trying to make the best of what little guidance they have? It's a complex issue. So yeah. um,
1: if you look at affordability... And just to use Santander as an example, we use net income, so net pay. Yeah. And then we take away the mortgage payment, which is clearly stressed, um, uh, and at repayment, not at interest only, but mm-hmm. stressed at repayment. Um, and then we take, off, we take off that, and then we take off committed expenditure. Yeah. Um, and that gives us a view of affordability. Now, we're very comfortable with that view, that, that that's an appropriate way to test if somebody can afford a mortgage payment. Um, or a mortgage, and um, it's around the committed expenditure. I guess is the is the is the complex part of it, and, yeah. and what you take and what you don't take. So you know, as as you know, it's been in in the press recently in terms of our stance. So there are some things that that we will not regard if the customer is happy to say, don't regard these items because I could yeah. I could cancel them. Yeah.
0: So like top ups to pension, if it, yeah. it's a save, voluntary save top up. Save as you up. earn,s yeah, uh, and and those okay. sorts
1: of things that we can do but um but but it's a complex issue as is whether you take um pensions or, or you don't take pensions mm. because you know you can look at it in different ways mm. so um it, it's a complicated issue um we've we've taken a stance other lenders are slightly different other, other lenders are the same um you know but overall when when we assess a customer's affordability we're really comfortable about how we how we assess that affordability
0: yeah well, i guess as long as you as long as you're comfortable actually interestingly it's that even between Brokers and the public, there's a bit of discussion as, as to certainly the pension income. If you've been paying a, a certain pension contribution for a while, then there's no reason that that's going to change.
1: No, um, n- no, I I agree. I think uh, I think it's unfortunate for us in Santander in terms of some of the press that's come out because the changes that we made were actually positive changes. Mm. So previously, you know, we did, we used to include things like SAYs and top ups as you as you mentioned, but we've changed that now to allow a little mm. more, little bit more flexibility. So it's unfortunate that. That additional flexibility wasn't portrayed quite as positively in the press as we we maybe wanted it to
0: be. And you were one of the first movers, really, on the on the affordability, even before MMR. You were you were ready MMR wise before. Yeah, so quite a few other lenders. So it, it, it's we, bedded in quite nicely.
1: Yeah, for us it's been relatively smooth. So um, in terms of the affordability piece, and as you say, we'd already made some changes to our affordability to make sure we were, I guess, MMR ready before before we actually went live. So um,
0: yeah, it's it's been relatively smooth for us. And uh, yeah, I mean, on the subject of MMI, actually, it was, it, it's something that was meant to move us away from income multiples, uh, and and down the lines of affordability, which is ultimately sensible. I think uh, yeah, um, brokers generally got all got behind the mortgage market reviews. It was a sensible move. Um, but hot on the tail of that, we we saw so-called house price bubble in London, which caused a some would say politically motivated response that saw loan-to-income caps come in and various other Bank of England powers. Um, And following other lenders' changes, Santander have recently capped all first-time buyers at 4.49 times income. Do you think this that whole thing about loan-to-income multiples, do you think it's an overly histrionic response? Has it gone too far? Is it just sensible underwriting anyway? I think it's... Again, it's
1: it's it's a complex one. Um, if you're allowing pure affordability, or whether you should apply a cap on, on income mm. multiples, I guess there's always a point where, at a certain level of income multiple, there'd be a common sense, yeah. I, I guess yeah. you know kind of view where you say actually at X times that's just even if the customer on paper can afford it, that's just probably yeah, a little it's uncomfortable. Just silly. Yeah. Um, so it's not for me to judge where that line is. Uh, and clearly, we follow you know the PRA guidance around 15% of your lending. Less less than 15% um, can be over four and a half times income. So, I think you've seen we've seen some changes from some lenders. Um, we've made a move to make sure that we stay within that 15%. Yeah, it is taken in each quarter in isolation, so there's no kind of carry back, carry forward. Okay, that's interesting. So um, so so it's each quarter in isolation. So it's not you can't carry it. So if you if you if you're within. And each quarter roll on you can sort of save what you're within and roll it up. A bit like pension contributions, onecy. <laughs> carry back, carry <laughs> okay. forward. Oh my like,
0: god, that takes you, me back. Carry yeah. back, carry forward.
1: Um so it's it's in isolation and, and yeah. clearly, you know, we we have to ensure that we we're within the fifteen percent. So any changes that we see from lenders or the market moves we need to move just to make sure that we're we're within that limit yeah we don't set that limit but but we need to make sure we're in we're inside that limit
0: because i was saying this morning actually i can see by the end of the year that pretty much most lenders will be do you know what this is four and a half times income that's it maximum um can you do you think that's is it is that am i wrong I don't i've know. been wrong before <laughs>
1: <laughs> quite a lot actually <laughs> um I, d- I don't know is the honest answer
2: to that. Yeah, you know, that's I, the view I'm, in our office.
1: I'm not sure what he's normally wrong. No, no, no. <laughs> we, we we had
2: a meeting this morning, and uh, and their consensus in, the in our office is that actually everybody will just move to four and a half. So,
0: um, just because it's if it's easier. I mean, as you say, if if the bigger lenders start moving away from four and a half, then those that are left doing say five times income get inundated with more business, yeah, which means they get closer to the 15% quicker, and yeah. therefore actually it becomes a like we saw with interest only, as soon as a few people pull out, yeah, most lenders follow because they don't want to be last man standing.
1: No, sure. Um, and there's there's different. You know, you can you can, but you can limit the amount you lend either by affordability or by income multiples. So yeah, you know, if you if a if a lender decided to change the way they assess affordability, by you know by design, that will affect how much they're going to lend in their income multiples anyway. So there are different ways of doing it as a lender. I it might change awesome my view today. now. I know
2: it's quarter by quarter, to be honest. I didn't realise. Yeah, that. that's interesting. Yeah. I
0: didn't know that. There you go. You've taught us something today, Brad. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> you can come again. <laughs> we'll see how it goes before, before we decide if <laughs> yeah, I'm coming actually, back. Yeah, actually, early <laughs> days, early days. Um, so that aside then, you, you, we've seen a, well, a remarkable price war, really, from from lenders, which has uh, fallen. rates have fallen to levels that no one thought pro- possible. Ten-year uh, fixes below three percent. There's talk that potentially we could even see a five-year fix at 1.99. Ten-year fixes at 2.49. How low do you think they can go before lenders start to say, "Actually, this is this is lost leading now."
1: Yeah. Well, I think the first thing to remember is that the um, the rates are intrinsically linked to what's happening with swap rate swap yeah. rates. Yeah. So when we see a movement in swap rates, generally. We, you know, if it's a movement upwards, we see a, a slight move up in rates. But but swap rates have been falling down and have, have been coming down, and you know are at um, historically low levels. So you know that affects cost of funding, and therefore banks are able to price and generally price linked to what's happening in the market. So um, swaps are low, hence rates are low, which is which is, I think it's twofold. It is partly that in terms of swap rates, and it's partly lenders and there's new entrants to the market as we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we see some competition driving that down. How low they go, it, again, is not for me to, to decide um, and have a look. I think there are some fantastic rates out there, particularly our 139 two-year fixed um, for remortgages.
0: <laughs> Was yeah. that a plug there?
1: Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Just needed to use an example that I'm comfortable <laughs> with. Um, so, you know, I think I think how low they go, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I think it's linked to the swap rates. As you already mentioned Governor of the Bank of England is talking about um, deflation and is the next move a, a, a cut? I'm not sure. Um, not quite sure on that one, um, but but we'll see. So mm. I think I think uh, we are where we are. It's great for the consumer. So it's an opportunity for for people to remortgage um, if you know there's an opportunity for them to save money by remortgaging or people to move house and, and fix into a really good mm. deal. And, and that's what we would encourage customers to do. Um, I think- Go on, sorry, no. I was just going to point out around kind of the fix, the ten-year fix, yeah, kind of five-year, yeah. Long, I was going to ask about ten that. That's
0: it. Ten-year fixes are are really interesting. Do you see, do you see much demand for them, um, or, or is it all all do, to do with the the redemption penalties, the early repayment charges?
1: Do you mean demand by consumers demand by or consumers. brokers?
0: Consumers, right? Okay, come to brokers okay, fine.
1: Uh, from a consumer perspective, I think. Uh, it, it's still a long time, 10 years, because most people will, when they take out a mortgage or purchase a property, generally they move, I don't have the up-to-date stats with them, but generally they'll move before the end of the 10 years, yeah. depending on their life circumstances at the time, I guess. Um, so whether the consumer, I think if they were, I would say those deals are portable, so our 10-year fixes are portable, customers can take them. Um, I think the ERC probably has you know, uh, an influence in how attractive they are. Mm. Uh, I think we've seen some lenders move where there's a, you know, part ERC up to a certain time yeah, and free ERC yeah. afterwards. So it'd be interesting to see if the market moves that way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it's 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 an interesting one because we've seen particularly a move towards five-year more over the last probably 12, uh, 12, 24 months. We've seen a move towards five-year. Yeah. I'm a big um, five-year fan at this. Are you?
0: At these levels, definitely. Hmm. I think it's really low, um, Matt. What um, we had this discussion today actually: five-year fix at one point nine nine percent, or a ten-year fix at two point four nine percent. But where I think would, the consensus where was amazed? where
2: was the where was the ERC? Yeah, so if it was Still five it comes years, back then to that doesn't it. I think so because I think that gives you flexibility. I think if you asked, a, I don't know, I personally would take a ten-year
0: fix at two four nine.
1: Monty wouldn't because he would lend into retirement. Then. Yeah, <laughs> A
0: whole different issue. <laughs> I mean, do you I, really want I, to get into age this early? No, on? no. Not, not <laughs> Birthday <just yet>. boy. <laughs> I,
2: I mean, I, I would take a ten-year fix, uh, knowing that I could get out after five. I think that would. Uh, I think that. I think it's really sensible. You know, I, I don't. I don't take the. I think so, so we would get questions sometimes in the media whether brokers want to do, arrange ten-year fixed rates. Why wouldn't we? If that's the right advice for a client, that's exactly what you should be doing. So. Wouldn't affect me. The day we come to advising clients just to do something because we we can't re-broke it for ten years is ridiculous. So, yeah. Um, I think that I th- might. I be think what that's a really Brad good point. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> because I think Matt Matt makes a really good point.
1: Because what we've seen across and direct channels, so we pay a higher proc fee on five year plus terms. Yeah. Not a plug, just a fact. That one, Monty. Yeah, yeah. Um But clearly, in a direct channel where we don't pay a proc fee at all. What we've seen is our business splits are very, very similar, so yeah, so that, that's that that shows you that that in terms of whether you're intermediated or direct, it's actually what you know it's directed towards the consumer and the consumer mm. stroke the advice that they're getting means that they're taking you know yeah m- more five year fix products. So I think Matt's right. I think uh, I think ten year fix can be attractive for the customer, um, but I think I think in most people's minds it has to be at a certain level because otherwise. 10 years just does feel a a long time away. For Me,
2: I was just thinking there's a number of variables in that. I mean, I was just talking about myself. Um, You know, your kids have to be at a certain age, you have to be a certain way along your life cycle. I would would suggest if you're content and you think that's your home and it's going to be your home for the next 10 years and kids are in a good school nearby then and you don't need to move for any kind of space issues, then actually it makes absolutely 100% sense locking in for 10 years knowing you're not going to have to move. I mean, Mm. if you're not going to need an extension or anything else, then... And as Brad said, if it's portable. Well, it's not yeah. a problem either. So uh, I, I think so. I mean I think it's very different looking in at a ten-year fixed rate of five point five percent than two point four or nine. I mean yeah. It's, yeah. it's absolutely incredible. So exactly. I think people yeah. should seriously contemplate, and I think they should ask ask the question. That's what that's what that's what clients should do when they come to a meeting.
0: I think it's interesting when I sit in front of clients and actually ask clients that question: Where can you see yourself in five years, and where can you see yourself in ten years? Five years, everyone has a view. Yeah, they they really can see themselves somewhere in a position. They they they're quite direct and exact on that. Yeah, ten years, they don't know, and that's part of the problem. You're right. Mm. They they just can't see that far in the future. So for me, until more lenders start to have more flexible redemption penalties and repayment charges, that's when you you'll probably see the ten year market. Okay, take it's off. useful to know. But yeah, that I think that that'll be interesting. Um, do you think yes, change it a little bit? Innovation in the mainstream market. Um, yeah, you know, low rates can only go so far in attracting new borrowers, and all all the lenders want a certain amount of business this year. If you if you add up all the uh, the reported targets, it's like a market of about three hundred billion again. And <laughs> clearly, <laughs> yeah. that's not going to happen. No. So um, so it seems to me lenders are all fighting around quite a small pool of borrowers. Does it, does there need to be more innovative and flexible? Things like tie-ins and things like um, lending to uh, self-employed contractors, interest only coming back. Does, it, does all that need to change? Where, where's the innovation gone, or is that uh, just?
1: I think, and you you've just highlighted a point where people think innovation, they just think risk policy. So, yeah, for, for us for us innovation, or for me personally, isn't just around risk policy. It's around the way the customer wants to. Engage with you, transact with you, the service that they receive, how they receive that service, be that from an intermediary or be that direct from a lender. So I think that that the innovation piece will move um, at a pace. For it, for example, we haven't yet seen um, uh, a, a digitalized broker in terms of or or a, I say a, a move so where there is a big digitalized broker player mm-hmm. stroking the market like a compare the market in general insurance yeah and that that's probably for a number of reasons one of those being that the only comparator or comparative way of, of, of looking at it is is by price currently and clearly policy is very complex and different with every lender yeah so I think I think customer behavior and customer uh, will change the market and the way people transact I think that's that's a whole bigger issue probably mm. that that I'm not quite sure where that will go um, but but clearly will change because Customers' behaviours are changing in that way, and everything else that they do. So why wouldn't that be in mortgages? Um, and I, th- I think you know, risk risk stroke lending policy is is a different issue. Um, I think lenders clearly have a responsibility to be responsible lenders, um, and you know, under even under current MMR, not even under, but under MMR, um, we have to prove income. So yeah. you know, income is income.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, it's just the way you interpret income. Is is you know, and again, every lender has a different way of, of looking that. So, I think it's it, it it's an interesting one. Um, clearly, as you as you say, if you added up every lender's targets, maybe it's more than, you know, two hundred and something billion. Probably it is. Um, how lenders do their targets, um, you know, is yeah. is is going to be up to each individual lender to decide how they yeah. how they bring customers in. I think low rates will help clearly because it will bring some people into the remo and and maybe encourage people to move who who previously haven't done. Um, but I also think things like if if wages are rising faster than inflation, and it means it's more affordable for people to either move or or, or, or take out a bigger mortgage to do stuff to the
2: house, etc., then that will drive the market as well. Yeah. So, have you seen any uh, changes because of stamp duty? Have you seen any kind of uh, activity because of the changes just before Christmas with regards to the, the stamp duty levels and how it's how it's operated? Is, is anything flow through yet? Um, I, Personally, looking at our numbers and trying to link that
1: to stamp duty is quite difficult um, to, to know that. Talking to some estate agencies that that you know we're in regular contact with the estate agency type distributors, it means it from a from a purchase price perspective, where there's always been a cap on certain prices, um, it's kind of taken that cap away, for want of a better term, because it's meant that people used to keep their prices yeah. capped at a level to. So there's not to skyscraping, basically, yeah. Okay, but but how whether that's had an effect in terms of lending volumes? On we haven't. I, we haven't seen a link. It's yeah. quite difficult to attribute a link to your volumes because there's so many other factors in the market and when you change rates or you amend your policy or whatever, then
0: it's hard to attribute that to, to something like stamp yeah. duty changes. I think you, meant, you mentioned digital, actually. That's, that's, that's quite interesting. Have you, as a lender, made any plans about, are you looking ahead into the future and, and seeing that things are going things to change dramatically and you, you need to uh, come up with different ways to engage your customer base and...
1: I think, I think every lender is is thinking of how they do things and how they make it easy for a customer to do business with them. And whether that's a customer that's been introduced to you via an intermediary or whether it's a customer that's come to you direct, how easy is it to do business with you? So be that, which we've made some changes recently, to customers who already have a mortgage with us and are able to view it online with their banking credentials and be able to see their outstanding mortgage balance. I can't and see mine, Brad. And and that, you can't see yours? no. Oh, it's probably so. Oh, yeah, big you were
0: moaning about that the yeah, other day, well, wasn't it? Yeah, it's so. It's so big, Matt. That, that
1: <laughs> we probably can't fit all the numbers on the screen. But, but happy to take that, take that away and have a look at it for you if you want me to. So, so we are looking at we are looking at that and there for customers with banking credentials, and then we'll move on to customers who only have a mortgage with us, and then don't have any other relationship, and they'll be next to kind of come on yeah. stream. So we're looking at servicing how customers, you know, when they want to if they want to make amendments to their mortgage, we're looking at that as a next stage in terms of how they do business with us. So, yeah, for sure we've done that. We are, um, we'll are, we look at how we um, transact with customers directly, be that via um, telephone or branch or digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at some of those, and we've got some developments in trail, which you know we're looking at and piloting over the coming weeks. And clearly we'll look at how the intermediary market moves and develops to see, you know, how, how we interact with
2: intermediaries on, in that space. We all know that banks aren't the best of technology, right? Do you think there's a possibility of somebody coming from outside in getting a banking licence and taking you guys on who are technology-based? Good question, so if you Matthew. Look at, so if you look at Africa, Vodafone are one of the biggest banks in Africa, okay? because yeah. obviously they use mobile technology and they use mobile phones. So do you think there's a, there's a possibility there could be a real curveball and... Some a techie company comes in and says, do "You know what? We can do banking better than the banks."
1: I'm sure there are people who are thinking that at the moment. I'm sure there are people are. Um, things move and change. Brands, uh, you know, brands that we hadn't heard of two or three years ago are now such massively yeah. recognised brands that you know, yeah. that that we wouldn't have even thought about happening. Um, and uh, it's like it's like um, I saw a presentation um, at a conference. A couple of weeks ago and this guy was presenting was talking about the future and how and how people will do business and and, and lots of other things as well it's quite a broad presentation but but he said he's he's um one of his little kind of story bits was when you talk to your children about what you want to be he said I want my son to say I'm gonna do a job you haven't even heard of yet yeah and be re- and I think that just kind of epitomizes how things can occur so quickly so I'm sure there are people out there who are thinking about how that works, and clearly banks will need to think about their future strategy and how that links in. So,
2: because if you uh, think of the loyalty of uh, an Amazon or uh, you know the way Jeff Bezos absolutely. brought his that that through, you're just thinking. Well, I'd imagine they just picked up a small bank in the UK and then just decided to 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 take it on and hooked it all into an Amazon or whatever.
1: Yeah, I, I, I you know, they're they're the sorts of things I'm sure that are, are in trail and People are thinking about. Um, how that works, you know. I'm, I'm not, mm. probably not as geeky as you, Matt. Um, <laughs> not so, many people
0: are, to be fair.
1: <laughs> so I, 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 I'm not sure. You know, if I had, great if I had that idea, then you know, I'm, I'm sure I'd be feeding it back into the office around this is what we should do. But but clearly there are threats for for all banks, you know, and where they're coming yeah. from and digital. Because they're lower overheads, well. aren't
2: they? They don't have to run a branch network. Absolutely. Which I guess, yeah. You know, I guess uh, First Direct innovated 20 years ago with telephone-only banking and. Uh, it's, it would be no surprise if somebody came along with a, with an internet-only proposition that that maybe slightly different to what we've got now. No,
0: mm. true, true. Very interesting. Just a reminder that you're listening to London Calling, the property podcast from Coraco Independent Mortgage Professionals. Okay, so I'm I'm going to change that and talk about the buy-to-let market. You've come into the market uh, aggressively <laughs> 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 um, recently. You know, you've got some really good products. We're uh, always being reminded that you do. Do buy-to-let lending? How's how's that going for you guys? Is that is that a massive area of growth for for you?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say we're overly aggressively moving into the market, Monty. Um, but I think we've always moved bit by bit. So yeah. when we when we opened our doors for for new business a couple of years or so ago, uh, we came in and just took a small part of the market, um, and then we changed our policy and pricing and product, etc. Mm. And we've done that bit by bit, just to learn. A from the business that we're getting and understand it better before we then we move criteria. So, so yeah, I think we've seen our, our buy-to-let business improve significantly. We made some changes. Um, I guess that was the back end of 2013 where we changed stress rates. We looked at um, self-employed and we yeah. and we moved minimum property size as well. So um, we're looking at that. We've we've grown. Uh, we're still not seen as a as a major player in the buy-to-let market. Um, we're not looking to be tmw or or bm solutions at this point um but we want to challenge them obviously um and um we'll look to change and grow bit by bit and i think you'll see that um as the year progresses that we'll continue to be competitive on price have some good products we'll look at our criteria and decide if we want to make further changes to 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 grow that lending further but yeah it's important to us it's a it's a it's a good um a good form of business it's it's a growing market and probably what you, you, as you well know, Monty, when when you look at the growth in the market and particularly the growth in the intermediated market, a lot of that has come from buy to let, which is mostly intermediated. I think plus 90% of buy to let business is done through intermediaries, right? And also new build as well. So yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely an area that we want to grow in and continue and made, to grow.
0: You made some uh, changes on the new build side recently yeah, we, as well.
1: We have, yeah. So yeah. Um, not only have we changed some. Um, product um, completion deadlines uh, to help with the, the consumer with that whole process we've also launched uh, a new build desk um, so we have some dedicated support to to brokers who are doing new build new build cases for their customers um, and yeah we're looking at our overall end-to-end process and how we can how we can again be easier to mm. to do business with and, um, she- and we've seen that we've we've seen that segment grow as well and brokers seem to like that and and we're doing more new build yeah. business as well.
0: Obviously, there's a new build, there's a lot of talk about that are we building enough etc. Um do you, do you think lenders really support new build enough? Do you think um they they could do a bit better certainly with their loan to value ratios a lot of lenders cut out at sort of anything between 60 and 80% maximum. Do you think
1: I think, think there should always, be lending more. There's always that debate isn't there between um in terms of the builders and the lenders and, and LTVs and 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 where you sit, and again that's a that's a decision for for banks and their risk their risk teams to decide where that line is, they're they're most comfortable with, and again there are some differentiations amongst lenders lenders around that, and which is which, which is fine. Um, I think what we've seen from a government initiative perspective on um, on help to buy one mm. um, has definitely helped the market in terms of yeah. in terms of new build. Um, and across Help to One, Help to Buy One, and Two, we've helped about sixteen thousand customers since the launch of those initiatives. So, um, I think they're good for the market, and clearly, particularly um, Help to Buy One, uh, in terms of new build. So, but I think they always have have that debate, and I think that's quite mm. a healthy debate. We're in we're in constant dialogue with with the major builders, and talking to them, and 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 asking them for for trends and information that mm. we that we take back and and look at. So, I think that's something that will continue to evolve
0: thank you um i mean santander generally has actually been yeah you know, one of the success stories really you've, you've had good figures that the uk operation has been been going great guns what what would you put that down to and and what can we expect in the near future from uh, from santander uk um
1: yeah we had a we had a a very successful uh, 2014 we grew gross lending by 43% um, across the board so um we you know we're very happy with 43% that's a lot yeah that's good um so we're very happy with our year last year um we'll look this year to to again have a have a successful year and 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 grow our business in line with the market um i think what do we put that down to um i think it's a number of factors one is and whether and we still get this from brokers when you go out to conferences and roadshows and you meet brokers, you still get some brokers who mention this, is that in 2008 and post the crisis, we stayed in the market and we still continued to lend. Um, and some brokers remember that and remember the fact of that, that supported the market, mm. particularly in intermediary because, because, as we say, in terms of the percentage of our business that's done through the intermediary market. Um, so brokers remember that and remember us for being consistent. I think you've already touched upon earlier on around our sales team. I think we have a very strong... Um, talented sales force, both both BDMs, both TBDMs on on the telephone and the support teams, and we have around a hundred people supporting that. Um, I think our products generally are good, um, pricing is generally pretty competitive, um, and our service generally is good. I think we had everyone is aware we had some service issues um, just after the launch of MMR when you, we changed our platform. You weren't the only one, um, but we weren't <laughs> the only ones. Thanks for pointing <laughs> that And you were by no out. means the worst. Excellent to know. <laughs> Um, but, but since then, you know, we've been, we were extremely busy throughout the remainder of 2014 and our services has has remained strong Mm. and we want to to continue that. So I think it's a kind of an all round package. You're not, you're not going to be wholly successful if you're just driving it through one area, be that price or just through service. I think, Mm. you know, for the intermediary market, you need to,
0: you need to have an all round proposition. Mm. And I think, I think we've got that at the moment. And do you think, um, that, I know you're, you're heavily intermediary based. Do you think that? That's reflective of, of the fact that the days of the branch are, are numbered. Do you see, do you see branches? Uh, really, I really get the impression that if they could, most lenders would get rid of most of their branches. Um,
1: that's a controversial question. You into, uh, yeah. <laughs> too um, much trouble. No, I I think customers will drive um, the the channels and the distribution. Consumer mm. choice will drive that. Yeah. So if customers want to deal with branches. Um, or want to deal on the telephone, or want to deal digitally, or want to deal with a broker. That's what drives the market. Post-MMR, I think you saw that some of the complexities out of MMR and, and consumers' perception of MMR and the press and everything that they read meant that they wanted advice, and they wanted independent advice, and, and therefore the growth in the market last year was driven primarily through intermediaries. Yeah. That's why we went from sort of 50-50 a few years back to movement, and and even more movement post-MMR to Maybe market wise sixty five, thirty-five. So I think customers will will decide where they want to do business, the consumer will decide. I think there'll always be a place for face to face um advice and some customers will want that via the bank that they know um and they trust. Um so I think there'll always be a place for that. Mm. Um and again, some people are more comfortable on the telephone, etc. So um no, I you know, I I don't think it 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 spells the death of branches or mortgage advice through branches, um, but I think consumer consumers will decide where they yep. want to do business, and we need to be flexible enough to be able to adapt to that.
0: And a question that's uh, that's come up on Twitter actually, there's a there's a, a lot of debate in the market at the moment about transitional rules, and uh, that lenders really aren't following the letter of the the letter of the law where transitional rules are concerned. And in essence, if you have a mortgage at the moment like I have. I'm a mortgage prisoner at the moment, I don't mind admitting that. Um, and I've paid my mortgage fine for the last seven years or so, and I want to either port, either uh, buy a new place or remortgage, but now I might have a change in circumstances where income doesn't technically fit under the new affordability rules. Lenders aren't really taking that into account and, and offering mortgages under the transitional rules. Is that? Uh, uh, do you see that changing?
1: Um, I I think lenders are looking at that, but primarily at the moment they're looking at for existing customers. Yeah. So I think it's interesting. I think the Ipswich Building Society today launched a two-year fixed. Um, I read I read I read this morning um, around three percent for transitional remos. Um, right. Uh, so I haven't haven't read all of that, but that's what I that's what I saw, and we Someone was talking about it in the office this morning. So if that's wrong. And you can edit it out <laughs> if I'm right, you can leave it in. Um but uh but I think lenders are really focused on getting it right for their existing customers. Um, you know, and that's a challenge in itself in mm. terms of some of those customers who who maybe like you, Monty, where their income positions change, but they've serviced a the mortgage satisfactory over a number of years. So I think lenders will continue to look at that and and get that right for their existing customers um before they even think about looking at, okay. Do I want to do that for a customer of a different lender? Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so finally, then, how do you, how do you see the market for the rest of the year? Um, what what do you see as the main challenges for this year? Obviously, it's an election year, and uh, we're hearing a lot of guff and bluster from uh, politicians about this, that, and the other. Yeah. Where do you see where do you see things going, or are you just narrowly focused on your on <laughs> on your own? On your own?
1: Clearly focused on on our <laughs> objectives and what we need to achieve this year. Um, I think looking at the market, and it's a personal view, it's not a Santander yeah. view, but my personal view is it feels like it will be relatively steady. Um, and I think everybody has the same, or most people have the same feeling. It will be relatively steady. People will still need to move. People will still want to remortgage and, mm. and take cheaper rates, etc., save money or, or improve their house or whatever they want to do. But I think um, some customers will wait until after the election to decide what they do, i.e. move house, etc. And I think some of the stuff that we read, um, be that um, stuff around mansion tax or yeah. buy-to-let lending might change significantly, mm. um, I think that that potentially could constrain the market a little bit. Um, and people like certainty and people don't like uncertainty. Yeah. So I think until... Post the election, we'll we'll then see, and I think that will then determine you know H two, I guess, in terms of how positive H two is. Um, last year, clearly we had a, a fantastic. The market was was busier in H one, and we were no exceptions to that. And H two was quieter, um, but for us, we you know we'd done the majority of the year in H one, so that was good. Yeah. Um, I think this year it, it feels like it's a little bit quieter um, compared to this time last year. Mm-hmm. It's quieter. Um, so whether or not the market will, will gain some confidence with some certainty post the election is probably where we see it. In terms yeah. of market size, um, what, we're we, around 205 at the end of the year yeah. last year. Yeah, um, There are some, I think, some quite optimistic predictions
0: out I there. I thought the Legal moment. in Generals was quite optimistic, Did you? Two, 225.
1: Yeah, uh, probably, it, personally, I think that's maybe slightly on the optimistic side. Mm. I think if there's growth in the market this year, that that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: You know, we don't want the market to be, you know, growing exponentially every year because that's not great for longer term. Um, But but I think consistent consistent growth is 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 what everybody wants. I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think I think the election will be will be key in terms of the whole how people feel and the certainty perspective to
0: that. Matt, I know you're a big fan of the election and. uh and politicians in general. I love them, Monty. <laughs> oh, well, that's a podcast in itself, to be honest. It <laughs> will probably be in eighteen. As as just leave my
2: business alone and get us, get, let us get on with
0: what we want to do. There. So, yeah. how do you see the the year going uh, from your point of view? Then,
2: uh, it was interesting what Brad said because um, we're twenty two percent up on our mortgage lending than than January last year, and everybody thought January last year was one of the best. So. Mm. That's interesting. I think that probably came as a slight surprise to ourselves. I'm not yeah. not not sure I thought that was going to happen. I think February looks like it's going to mirror that. So um, I guess from that point of view, I'm pretty pleased. Uh, I I thought we I thought the year would be I thought would be very quiet, not quiet, but sort of sort of bumbling along until the election was out of the way, and then uh, mm. we'll see where we're at. I mean, I think from my point of view. I just hope we get a result in the election, whatever it is. Uh, we can't be decisive definitive. result. We, we need want, a decisive yeah. result. Uh, I don't want any uncertainty in the housing market, and uh, and what we do is not good. Not the regulator not knowing what's going to happen, who's going to change this, that, and the other. I think we need to get some certainty. Mm. Um, I think that's probably all I can ask for. And then, yeah, uh, there's there's a few. You know, most of the stuff I can control in our, but we can't control that kind of stuff. So I, yeah, I, I you know, I'm an engineer. I just want to know certainty. I want to know that if I do this, that's going to happen. I, yeah. Quite different. interesting though because last year
1: and whether this affected your business as much is was the launch of Help to Buy two. Yes. So whether or not, you know, that was a, you know, that that may have been a factor earlier on in early on in the year last year in terms of growth in the market and if you maybe weren't as active in that part of the market mm. then this year you you know, your figures will look slightly different but,
2: but um London was a bit bonkers last year, actually, in the first mm. four months of the year. It was London bit, was absolutely crazy. crazy. So.
0: Mm. Was, I've never seen anything like it. It was, it was astonishing. Well, no, I mean, across all
2: our across all our lead sources and uh, the estate agents seem to be doing okay. So uh, I guess Brad, Brad's right. We just want some stability and mm. sensible transactional volumes. And then that, yeah. that suits everybody. It's in nobody's interest to see house prices flying ahead.
0: No, absolutely.
2: Or, or plummeting down, if we can just have some nice yeah. flat flat waters ahead that'd be lovely thanks
0: <laughs> so there you go folks everyone wants stability that's uh, that's the question um that's it i think we've run out of time oh. you'll be relieved to know <laughs> well if, thanks uh, for having me that's okay it's a pleasure thank you very much uh brad thank you matt pleasure monty and uh thank you for listening we'll be back next month with some more topical chat As ever, any comments or requests for topics to cover in future episodes, please feel free to contact us. And you can do so on Twitter, at Corico, or, of course, through our website, www.corico.co.uk. Until next time, this is London Calling. (laughs)